And you've seen the pedigree on on Wynn, how stacked she is. Mm-hmm. Oh, it you is know. very stacked. Well, I, I would probably say more than gauges for sure. Well, yeah. Because you got. Yeah, I mean that's that's why I wanted puppies out of that. You know, yeah. I knew what she was out of. It's stacked. And and there wasn't any one individual dog I was chasing in there. But you know, if you get back behind Buddy, uh, Foster's Buddy, it is my stuff. Hmm. I mean, Foster's Buddy was was yours? No, behind him. Oh, okay. We bred we bred a dog by the name of Snixo um, Hijinks to the Whiz Kid, okay. and the Whiz Kid was just a Super. I don't know how you remember all these names. Oh, I'll scare you. What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode 39 of the Upland Rookie Podcast. I'm your host, Will Larson, and as always, this is presented by Upland Brits. Also brought to you by Pointer Traditions, Trinity Bretons, Gunner Kennels, and a Nook Shook Professional Dog Food. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Uh, welcome back. Uh, this is part two of our mini series with Jeff Hoskins. Uh, if you have not yet already listened to part one, uh, FC Snixo Miss Tiffany, uh, go back and listen to that one. Take a short break. Go back in episode episode thirty eight. Uh, take a listen to that, and then jump back into thirty nine. Uh, we we pick up this episode a little bit where we left off on the last one. Cover a few things we may have forgot, and then jump into a whole bunch more. Uh, getting into this uh, trialing and breeding and puppy development with Jeff. So uh, buckle up; it's going to be another long one, and uh, I hope you guys really enjoy this one as much as you did the first one. Hey guys, it is springtime right now, and uh, who's out chasing turkeys? Not me right now. Um, I got a whole bunch of things going on my plate right now, so unfortunately I am not, at least I don't have any turkey plans in the books right now, but you never know, things could change. Uh, Maybe I might make a trip to Kansas here or there, but we'll see how it goes. Um, Again, springtime, I got um, a whole bunch of things on my plate with work and kids sports and all that good stuff. So, um, we'll see, but, uh, I know Turkey season is, uh, fast approaching. So it's open in some States, uh, for some of us already. So anyways, just wanted to shout that out there for all you Turkey hunters, all you, I don't know, I don't know all the, <clears throat> the cool lingo with the, the Turkey crowd, thunder chickens, I don't know, something like that. So if you're out chasing Turkey, <clears throat> maybe you're, Maybe you're listening to this episode as you're you're heading out to heading out to chase a tom. But uh, if you are, good luck. Hope you're having fun uh, getting out there. But um, yeah, I haven't been up to a whole lot with dogs right now. Um, finished the Nastra trial a couple weeks ago with Gage. Um, I might mention that in last week's episode. I forget. But um, we qualified for regionals in May, so we got a little bit of a break until May. We'll do the regional trial here in the Rocky Mountain region and then go from there. So got a fun summer coming up. Uh, Going to be working on uh, some things with Win, and uh, yeah, heading into fall uh, strong. So I know it's, it's still early. It's spring, but we got a bunch to look forward to. So, hey, I'm going to uh, cut this a little short and because I'm running a little bit late. Got a late start today. We've had a sick kid 
in the house for the last couple days, did not sleep well the night before, and got a late start today. So we're going to jump right into uh, episode 39, part two, with Jeff Hoskins. Enjoy. So Jeff, we're going to kind of jump back in here to part two uh, of the, of our episode. And one of the things, I know we talked about electronic traps and, uh, you know, uh, re- uh, release traps. And one of the things that, again, I've got to see you do firsthand, but uh, when I got to experience firsthand, when I picked up wind from you, um, I've seen you do this with a lot of young dogs, is they are very, uh, very they're very staunch when they're young. So I picked her up at six months and she goes on point and she's not creeping. And can you kind of talk a little bit about, again, kind of the benefit of a trap and the timing uh, when it comes to, again, developing that young dog? Okay. Um, and that's that's one of my favorite things about electronic release traps. Um, and again, you have to know exactly where you've got that trap uh, set. Um, it's really important to pick out a landmark such as a bush or or a particular rock or or you know something that is a good place that makes sense where uh, a wild bird would be, like in a draw, and uh, and be mindful of the wind and which way the wind is out of and uh, so that the dog's going to you know catch a good whiff of scent uh, at the appropriate time and above all else what we're doing is trying to imitate a wild bird and you know back in the days with tiff um, i could uh, um, you know we could uh, dogs almost broke themselves on wild birds we had access to that many, and and I remember Tiff pointing uh, a pheasant for the first time. It was on a fence row, and there was six or eight uh, hen pheasants scattered along this fence row, and she got to point uh, six or eight times, mm-hmm. just back to back, and that repetition, you know, taught her to point, mm-hmm. and also taught her that if she got close, it'd make the bird fly. And, and uh, you know, it was just what the doctor ordered for a young dog. Um, those situations don't exist much anymore. Mm-hmm. Not to say they're, they don't happen, they do, but not near as much as they did back in the, the good old days, so to speak. <laughs> and, and so what we're doing with this electronic release trap is imitating this wild bird. And again, you need to stage the situation. You've also got to be mindful of when you walk in, you don't want to come in from the downwind side to put that trap down. Dogs will learn to track you Mm. to the trap. And if you're coming in from the upwind side, they're not going to have any success doing that. And I've had, and and they're going to figure it out. I mean, there's, if you use enough traps, they will figure out how to how to track your footprints mm. to to the birds. Sure. Uh, but you come in from the upwind side, and when they smell that bird, they're going to be right on it. And yeah. They're not going to have very good luck. And 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 then when I'm working dogs, I try to come in from the downwind side, and, or from the side. Uh, that's actually better to uh, you know come in from a perpendicular mm. angle to the bird because then then uh, you know exactly when that dog's going to be downwind. That also helps reduce the amount of creeping as 
is if the first few times you bring them in on a rope perpendicular to where the wind is and and the trap is and that way they get a, a big snoot full of uh, scent all at once mm. um, and rather than if you brought them in all the way from the downwind side oh, they got a saying. little bit of scent and then and then they want to be sure so they creep up a little bit more and yeah it's there gotcha you know um so you want a face full of a lot of scent quickly all at once all, all at, once. at once from ideally from you know 10 12 feet sure and and uh and then and then uh you know once they once they get that down pat then you work on uh having that trap out and and uh um, having them off the rope and and learning, you know how how to handle that that bird that we're going to imitate a wild bird with. Yeah. Um, the uh, the being perpendicular to that, I I'd uh, almost forgot that. That's a very important point hmm. uh, when you're introducing a young dog and they're they're getting ready to start pointing birds hmm. and and. Uh, um, and you can sometimes set it up with the objective too that you know a, a natural objective uh, um, they're going to come in from a perpendicular angle on and and you're going to know right when they're downwind um, and uh, and be able to pop that bird once they spin and if they want to road in you pop it mm. and um, um, that's a that's a critical piece and uh, you're good. Got it. I, there's something I wanted to say about that. Oh, oh shit! What was it? Uh, um. Does that make sense? What mm-hmm. I just said. Uh, yeah, I, I, you hadn't you hadn't heard that from me before, had you? I've heard you casually mention it when we're out training, but being perpendicular, yeah. so they get a big snoop full uh, scent. Yeah, okay. all at once. Yeah, um, I was going to ask you one more kind of question around this, mm-hmm. and it's around to clarify something. Yeah, well, a little bit different spin. So, I've seen you do this with some dogs, uh, some of your own before, and so what a dog, if a young pup goes behind you. Mm-hmm. Again, we've talked about timing is key. If a dog goes behind you and gets close to a trap, you're going to be popping that. Oh, yeah, that's another thing that they'll do. Um, Pretty quickly, right? Yeah, well, I don't want them to have success back behind me. You know, the yeah. smart ones will figure out that sometimes, sometimes when you're you know planting a field, you'll you'll you know if they go behind you, they can pick up some of the birds that you planted. Sure. And and that'll destroy their pattern. Yeah, and and do you think they can pick this up pretty like one or two times of it uh, happening? Uh, no, no, three, four. Two, two. I mean, we're messing with puppies that are three, four months old. Okay. So no, it's not it's not that. I mean, it take one smart pup to figure that okay. out. Okay. I haven't seen him do it that young. Okay. But if they're a little older. Yeah, if they're a little older, I mentioned the footprints. Um. Oh, I wanted to talk about a ditch. Yeah, that's what it is. Okay. Um, on a ditch or a royal, uh, scent does weird things. Oh, okay. You know, um, 
Okay. Now yeah. I got I got my mind straight. Okay. okay so Good. so point at me when you got it turned on. Okay. And hold on. Now I'm going to lead with the question I just asked you. Okay. Okay. And so I've seen this happen with a few dogs before, a couple. Um, a young pup will go behind us. We're out there training, working dogs. A pup goes behind us. The bird's behind us. Maybe we walk past it. Uh, talk about, are you going to pop that, that trap pretty quick if that dog goes behind you, and why? Well, I guess sometimes training I get a little bit lazy. <laughs> and when I'm walking out there. Not I'm you. Gonna, yeah, I've got a I've got a couple birds out there, but I'm also carrying another trap, and I'm going to plant a bird as we're going through the field. And I've had dogs get smart enough to know that sometimes that's a pretty good bet to swing in behind. And we don't want to destroy a dog's pattern. Mm -hmm. And if they figure out that they can have success going behind us and not staying out front, um, we're going to screw up their pattern. And I've, I've had dogs that, you know, have success doing that and then I've got to remember that and if I see them do it again uh, I'm going to pop that bird before they even get anywhere close to it gotcha. and and I can tell that they're getting ready to to do that because you know they're not listening to my command when I'm when I'm asking them to come with me gotcha. and uh, um, and that's you know the, the critical point um, is that you know, we again, we want to imitate a wild bird, but we're going to put that one, we're just going to let that one fly before they get close to it so we don't destroy their pattern. Sure. So okay. um, the other thing to keep in mind, and that you see this hunting, um, I also see this when I'm out working birds. Um, air currents do really weird things on ditches hmm. and you know that's a that's a good or a royal or whatever you you know whatever you want to call it uh, a draw um, if if uh, it's not not flat terrain and there's quite a bit of drop in the in the ditch um, you know it's hard to say exactly which way that wind's going to go so you want to keep that in mind I mean those are great places to put birds but, but sometimes it seems like, uh, um, you know, with the right wind, um, a dog may miss that bird and you wonder, well, can he really smell a bird or what's the deal here? <laughs> and, and it's probably just the wind. And I've really had weird things happen when I was hunting on, on uh, you know, um, I mean, in Iowa, you can hunt in the ditches. Uh, you've got to be careful, of course, with, uh, with traffic, but... Uh, um, Are we talking I've about seen, just a lot of wind swirling? Yeah, and, swirling, okay. and swirling, and and the dog flat out, you know, if they're down in the bottom of the ditch and the and the uh, the the bird is up on say the fence row on the side, they just completely miss it and go past it, hmm. you know, even on a crosswind, and it's because the it's because the scent is up and over their head. Sure. And uh, I've seen that happen before, um, a lot seems hmm. like. And um, but just keep that in mind when you're trying to pick out a logical place to to uh, to plant a bird. Um, but uh, um, what was uh, the next thing? No, that, that that's good. Okay. Um, I, I did kind of want to close the loop on kind of uh, again young do- young dogs training traps and all that. 
Have you ever had a scenario, I guess personally with a, a dog of your own, maybe that had a negative experience with a trap and were you able to, to recover that with them or recover uh, moving forward, still training in, in that with that way? Yeah, and, and I mentioned earlier about uh, you know, setting a trap on its side and shooting birds over their head. Hmm. Uh, I should say shooting probably isn't the, the right word. We're literally aiming the trap to to so, so the bird's when it going. extracts extracts the bird, it's gonna come out right over the dog's head, and they love that. Sure, you know, and and uh, and I, you know, if the dog is showing signs of of uh, of not being interested in pointing a, a you know a bird in a trap, um, I've also uh, and and that sometimes will equate to not liking pigeons, and mm. and I'm in deep trouble if I got a dog that doesn't like pigeons so I mean I've done things like uh, got them used to the gun and walked along with a bag full of pigeons and thrown one out and made sure that they were interested in it and then threw another one and shot it for them you know and and that brings them back real fast you know to get feathers in their mouth sure Okay. So, oh, that's great. Great tool to have and yeah. be, able to, be able to use with some dogs. As you're... You try to t- train as natural as you can when it comes to bird hunting, sure. even though it's in this day and age tough to do. Yeah. Um, and and you've got to you've got to pick up on those dogs' patterns where they're figuring out how to mm. how to play the game and and cheat the game. <laughs> and and I've heard stay, you talk about that a lot. Stay stay a couple steps ahead of them. Um, you know things like tracking your your footprints to the birds and things like that. You know, if you do the same thing over and over and over again, sure. the dogs learn the routine, and it's really important. And, and to, even location too, like training location. Like oh, I know yeah. you were talking with this about well, with me last summer. I would I would take Gage to kind of one of two training areas, and you yeah. said, hey, switch it up to a third and a fourth location. Yeah, or make sure that if you can on a on a location, come in from a different direction. Mm. Okay, Switching you know, up. if you've got if you've got access from a couple different points, you know, change that up when you can, yeah. and uh, um, come in from a different direction, and that's that's showing them a different piece of ground, basically, you yeah. know, and and uh, I mean they're smart animals and and smarter than we always give them credit for, and they they figure out the pattern because that's what they that's what they live and die to do is <laughs> is the bird hunting, so sure. they they pay really close attention to what. Yeah. you know what the the uh what the uh their human is doing with them yeah because so. yeah, you can have a dog that listens fantastic in the backyard mm-hmm. or your favorite training area then you go to hunt or switch it up and it's like yeah <laughs> everything's out the door i mean that's that we call that being field trial wise you mm-hmm. know i mean um we're going to get into that but uh um there, you know there's a ton of dogs that are broke to death at home and and <laughs> When you get at the field trial, everything goes out the window. Sure. And and what it amounts to, at that Dobbs seminar that I mentioned earlier, they mentioned this, and I believe this, that you know, for a dog to have something and and for them to fully understand it, you have to do it in seven different places. Oh yes, talk about this a little more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and they've got to be well broke properly in seven different places. Um, you know, the, anything you're trying to get them to do, you know, you've got to do it in different places. The dogs are very place oriented. 
And, I mean, to the point where, you know, guys like George Hickok, um, you know, used the, the, the place board. And, and, and it's a very useful tool. He does it in a, in a, in a, in a you know, great manner as far as a training tactic. But, but, you know, it was quite a while ago when I saw George do this in a videotape, but that place board, you know, um, and dogs are that place sensitive, and sure. so are horses for that matter. Hmm. You know, I've I've seen horses that were really push button at every place, but they had a bad experience at at another place, and and they just weren't the same horse that you you know you had to deal with, and and uh, you know dogs learn this, um, and uh, you know they they will remember at a field trial where they found birds the last time, <laughs> wow. and. Uh, um, the smart ones will and and you know there's dogs that are smart and use use things in your favor and there's dogs that that um, you know do it for their own good and and you know we want the dogs that are smart and are good team players sure. um, you know but uh, um, you know you, you can you know you when you think back you can think of all kinds of situations where Repetition has taught that dog how to act or what to do in a certain situation, and, sure. and as trainers, we've got to stay one step ahead of that when when yeah. they start figuring out the pattern and we don't realize you, that they have. You got to keep it fresh. You got to keep the repetition up, but you got to also change up where change and, it up to so that so that they don't become automatic yeah. and it becomes a downfall hmm. when you go to a competition at a different location. Yeah, because yeah. um, you want them to think through the problem, not just re- automatically. We want it, yeah, we want them to do it, do things for the right reasons, you sure. know. Uh, when we say, well, they stand there no matter what, no matter where, yeah. you know. doesn't matter if there's a nuclear explosion, <laughs> you know, there's, they still better be standing there. Whoa means whoa. Yeah. <laughs> whoa means don't move your feet. Yeah. That's great. Well, I'd love to get in uh, a little bit more on the kind of bloodlines and even a little bit of breeding. Or do you want to go to the field trial? Um, e- either way. Okay. You tell um, me you want, you want to go field trial side more? Yeah, let's, let's bloodlines? That's kind of the we're talking about training. Okay. Let's let's, let's go that way. Yeah, let's do the field trial because Perfect. Um so you're going to go to your first field trial in a couple of weeks. I am. All right. I'm excited. What, you know, this is perfect, perfect opportunity. What should someone like me, never been to a field trial, done some, one hunt test, done a couple of Nashville events. What, what do I expect going into it? That's part one. Uh-huh. And uh, let's tackle that first. What, as a new person going into a trial, what should I expect going into this? Um, you know, being a new person, uh, you know, there's going to be a brace sheet come out. You know, uh, check the brace sheet. Um, you'll know when you're running, what the running order is, and and you'll be able to see the entries. You know, mm-hmm. and people that you know there, and you know maybe you'll know a few people, maybe you'll know no one. Sure. Um, you know, you've probably watched uh, some of the listings of field trial placements. You know, and. And and maybe you know there'll be a dog that you've seen place several times. That's a good one to go watch, especially an adult dog. You're going to be running win in a juvenile stake. Um, it's very important that you um, hopefully you don't get braced in the first brace. Mm. 
you get the opportunity to walk the course or ride the course and it's very important to to you know spot the nasty turns that are going you know where you're going to have to make sure you got a handle on your dog okay. and uh, have them pointed the right direction especially if there's an objective that takes the dog away from sure. you on a turn uh, you want to know that you know if there's places where there might be deer on the course mm. uh, you want to you want to you know recognize that and try to steer your dog around it okay. um, you know there's all kinds of uh, you want to know where the water's at on the course if it's a hot day um, but but I see a lot of people does everyone get a chance to ride the course prior to starting there's a gallery okay, okay? there's a gal there's there's two handlers two judges and then a marshal who's responsible for for you know helping the judges uh, conduct the field trial and and keep the gallery okay. the gallery is the group of people that are watching okay. and and you know when I go to a field trial if I'm not judging and I'm not running dogs and I'm not helping with the trial I'm riding the watching mm. you know I'm I don't you know I don't find it real fun to, <laughs> to spend a lot of time in the parking lot I'd rather you know spend my time watching some dogs and sure. and uh, and so I I spend as much time as I can out on the course watching the dogs and okay. and uh, and that's that's a critical piece I see too many people that just wait for their chance to run and mm -hmm. and and it's really hard to run a dog properly when you mm -hmm. don't know the course mm -hmm. and uh, um, you want to make sure that you know you've got all your equipment ready to go it's just like if you're going hunting you know you sure. want to be set and ready to dive go out, out of that gate. truck and get yeah. get going and that's yeah. that's what you want to do at the field trial so and when you say course um because again coming from a akc hunt test and even nastra you have a about a 40 acre square box uh -huh. that, that's your field uh -huh. when you say course you're describing a little bit more as it's, it doesn't sound like a square box no no it um you know it's it's far from a square box it's a hopefully a place where you would go bird hunting okay. and um your your first field trial is going to be at at bonnie reservoir which is um what i'd call a creek bottom the mm. locals call it a river bottom okay um it's uh it's uh, parts of it are wooded and it goes along the south republican river which you know, you can jump across in several places, which constitutes a creek in my mind. Okay. Yeah, uh, um, sounds about right. And uh, um, and uh, and and there are some fences on it, and you want to make sure you know where those gates are at. Yeah. You know, because because that's what you're going to be going through. And and again, we're trying to make a a, a smooth presentation to the judges. Sure. You know, not only do you have a good dog, but the the dog and you and and the horse are all on the same page and and you know show the judges the uh, very efficient hunting dog and uh, you know nice and smooth mm. and that's our goal you know is that a good expectation for a first-time handler probably not but mm. we're going to try to put our our best foot forward mm. um, you know I I'm, I'm I'm on about my my tenth field champion that I've trained field and amateur field champion and you know over 40 some years and I guess that's not a lot of them but you know like I said I'm having to balance my 
workaday world and and uh, family life and, sure and uh, um, but but uh, you know the the key thing is with with the field trials is is you want to learn yep. and and you know going in with the expectation of of getting a placement probably isn't the best thing you mm. know the people that really last in this so game we're just going to ask you like how like how does someone new how you like how do they set themselves up for success in the long haul yeah the people that really last in this game are the ones that enjoy a good bird dog performance mm. whether it's their dog or not mm. okay yeah we want to go win but the main thing is is that you want to be happy with your dog's performance sure you know you 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 know you know where they're at and you've watched some of the other dogs too and you know what the competition's like and and you've watched some really good handlers and you've watched some that aren't so good and you're trying to to um, imitate the, the the people that you think are, are really good handlers that, that win on a regular basis and and uh, and that's that's part of the reason for going out and, and watching and observing the trial. And that's, you know, like I got to watch Lloyd Budd run the real thing and win an open all age. And, you know, that performance was etched in my mind. And I said, someday I want to have a dog like that. And, uh, and you know, that was only my second field trial. and. And, and I thought it was a good performance, but I could tell by the pe- other people in the gallery that it was a good performance. Mm. And I, and uh, so, so someone that's not just in it for your dog, they need to take open the blue ribbon, but someone that has that just like an appreciation of yeah, they, they, not they, just my dog. And you yeah. mentioned to me a couple of days ago, I think that some of the, some of the most proud uh, ribbons or placements that you've taken were maybe not first place ribbons at all but you were proud of your dog's performance yeah i mean i've 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 got a lot of blue ribbons that that you know my dog was just the least of all evils that day <laughs> and 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 sometimes when it's really bad they withhold placements mm. you know i mean you know the, the dogs have got to be broke wing to shot and an adult stake sure. and if if you know nobody's uh um you know, following the or meeting the qualifications that the judges have to see, they they don't have any choice but to withhold. So the they wouldn't give out any first place or yeah or oh. any ribbons. Oh, wow. I've seen that happen before. Wow, you know, okay. um, but uh, um, but the, what where you where I was t- what I was talking about the other day was, you know, I've had I've gone and um, I had a dog by the name of Snoopy that was a field and amateur field champion, great hunting dog as well, or guided with her as well as, you know, won some substantial field trials. And and the thing about Snoopy was she was kind of a hard luck dog in that she she couldn't get it right on the day when nobody else was was uh, performing well. You know, she could, I could enter, I needed a three point amateur uh, win to finish her amateur field champion. She was a open field champion from the time she was about three. And I think I finished her amateur when she was like 11, <laughs> but but you know Snoopy just kind of well, you know at times was kind of a wild child and and you know a 13 dog stake that that was the major um, you know she'd go out and find a way to blow up and and goof it up and and you know we'd come up empty-handed and then 
you know, the next next week in a in a uh, you know forty dog open stake, she'd win a blue ribbon, which is not what we needed, <laughs> you know. And then the next time, you know, there's a shootout of a stake, and uh, everybody's performing well, and and you know she gets a second in a thirteen dog stake, and 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 yeah, I'm I'm perfectly happy with because of the performance that she laid down, mm. and. Uh, um, you know, and that's going to happen. And those are the fun ones is when when you see, you know, a lot of other dogs having really good performances and, and uh, you know, the competition's tight and and your dog goes out and, and lays down a good one too. And, and like I said, Snoopy just couldn't get it right on the right day. And, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and that was kind of somewhat funny in, in a lot of ways, but uh, I had a lot of fun with that dog. Yeah. Um, on on several different games but but uh you know if, if you're just going out and winning is the only thing that matters um you're probably not going to la- last very long mm-hmm. in in any game whether it be field trials nastra sure. uh, or the hunt tests mm-hmm. you know it, you uh and and there's nothing wrong with wanting to win well, sure. we all do sure you know but but when you talk about you know setting yourself up for success the other thing is i'd say don't ever brag on your dog you know Uh, (laughs) golden rule yeah because they you know they're listening and they'll make a liar out of you (laughs) and uh and it just puts undue pressure on yourself sure you know um you know if the dog goes out and just has a really bad day and and just isn't the same dog then you're frustrated too and and you know, and and, and then you feel bad because you were bragging up the dog, and, <laughs> sure. and it makes you look like you don't know what you're right. doing, you know, <laughs> and and uh, and that even goes with hunting, you yeah. know. I don't, um, you know, mine are always worthless right before I turn them loose, <laughs> you know, because um, I've always joked around that several of my dogs have overconfidence issues. <laughs> And uh, and we, we we can't let that get away from no, us. No, no. So well, that's good. Are you uh, with the field trial? Uh, from what you're seeing, let's take the last five or ten years. Are you seeing a lot of new people try it out at least? Or and if you are, are they sticking? Or are they not? You, you do. Um, you know, in our particular area, um, there's a great group of. Uh, of younger folks that are running vislas and uh, um, and they uh, you know they're very good at putting on field trials they're they're you know you've seen them come through the progression of of going to hunt tests and then running their dogs in juvenile stakes and then eventually uh, in the adult stakes and and doing quite well and and uh, um, right now, it's a little bit stagnant with the Britneys and with the English Pointers, uh, maybe even with the short hairs in our area that we don't have the influx of new folks coming into the game. Um, I'm not sure about Nastra and Navda if they're seeing the same thing, but but uh, you know the the field trials. It's quite a you know an outlay of cash to you know get all the equipment with the horses and everything like that and. Um, however, you know the Visla group is getting the the new folks, and and they're and the new folks are getting quite proficient. And uh, that's good. You know the Visla breed is is uh, um, you know has come a long ways. There's uh, uh, the Beckleys um, 
out in western Kansas had a dog by the name of Kinsey, and I thought she made the Fischler Hall of Fame, hmm. and uh, she's definitely deserving because Kinsey won the Nationals and then was an extraordinary producer, hmm. and and so you know. You, when you say producer, does that mean pup, to, puppies? Pups, okay. pups coming out of her. Okay. Um, she uh, she threw very good pups. She she had that ability to to produce herself, hmm. and. Uh, um, you know, and, and that's uh, that's been fun to watch, and it leaves the rest of us uh, uh, with the other breeds. You know, okay, let's look at this and make sure we know what they're doing right. And, sure. And they're, you know, bringing new people along along right through the through the hunt tests. And, I was going to say, I think you mentioned this earlier. Was the hunt test is, is kind of a really good stepping stone, kind of mm-hmm. a good gateway mm-hmm. into. The and some people really enjoy the hunt test too because it's, you know. The, the rules are very specific, sure. and it is a pass-fail uh, uh, criteria, uh, but a master hunter dog is an exceptionally well-trained dog, sure. um, and, and that's what a lot of people like in their dogs, working as a team, and, and, and you know, for me personally, uh, uh, a master dog is far too push-buttoned mm. <laughs> for... Um, because uh, did you used to run hunt test more and now you don't really no i uh-huh. never ran a lot of them okay um i've judged quite a few juniors okay um and uh um i can't keep up with all the rule changes mm-hmm. on the senior and the master okay and uh and some of them in in my own personal opinion are are too far fetched for a wild bird hunting situation hmm. And uh, and I don't like that part of it, sure. uh, and and so um, I guess you know. And but but don't get me wrong. You know, it's a it's a great game, and it's a great way to to spend a lot of time with your dog and make the dog better. Sure, uh, it's a great goal to have a master hunter or a senior hunter or junior hunter. Yeah, um, and. Uh, um, I enjoy the judging the junior hunters just because there's a lot of new folks coming into that yeah. and and uh, um, and it's it's uh, it helps us old guys rekindle the uh, <laughs> rekindle the enthusiasm. Yeah, I bet you're. That's something I've noticed about you. Is I mean, myself's a perfect example. But we ran dogs this past weekend, and there's another new person out there who's never been on horseback and. You, you somehow find yourself a lot of new people that are just interested and you're you're taking your time and showing us the ropes and that's i, I know i appreciate that a lot so. yeah well it, it uh it you know i enjoy showing people that and i learn a lot myself watching people hmm. learn you know if you can teach it uh you know it backwards hmm. forwards and sideways sure and uh um, and and you find yourself rethinking, you know, procedures uh, when, you're, especially when you're teaching somebody, to make sure you're doing it the right way. Sure. And uh, um, and it it's it's fun for me for that reason. You yeah. know, I think I think it, you know, and I don't hold anything back. What I know, I share. Sure. And uh, if I think of it, that's what I mean. <laughs> that's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, um, but anyways, that's good. That's good. Uh, um, and, and you know, it's uh, 
um, it's a great part of this game. And, and, you know, I was fortunate when I came into it that, you know, I had people that would explain things to me and I could, you know, I could learn and, and, uh, um, and I had, you know, a lot of friends that I, like I said earlier, I, you know, pick our, pick their brain and, and, uh, you know, develop new ways of doing things. Sure. That's awesome. Very cool. Um, okay. You ready for bloodlines and breeding? Um, Anything else on trials? Let me look at something else on the trials. Um, I guess something else I'd encourage you to do, you know, at the trial is, is, you know, make sure you, you know, who the, who's running the field trial, you know, and where you have to be with the running order. Um, you know, who the field trial chairman and secretary are because they're running the field trial. You know, if you get the chance to offer to help, I'm sure they'd appreciate it. That's good. Um, you know, we talked about, you know, the, the people who last in the game are the ones that that in, enjoy that, that good bird dog performance, whether it's theirs or somebody else. Um, the funny thing I've noticed in competitions, and I've, I suspect it could be this way with with Nastra and and with the hunt test is people come into the game and they're all enthused and they work really hard with their dog and and eventually they get one and they do really well with it and uh, um, and I've seen too many people come and go in the lifetime of one dog you know they they have and and what happens is I think is they get that one really good dog and and it's you know a, a, a really good one and they have good success they get used to that and uh, and then they try to get another one and there's no two you know like I said earlier I've had 10 field champions that they all had even though they're related, and most of them are related, they all had their strengths and weaknesses, and mm. and and were individual dogs. Mm. And and does Hank do things like his dad did, Spanky? No, not exactly. You know, but you've got to see those dogs for the individuals that they are, mm. both the strengths and the weaknesses. And I think a lot of times people. Um, are looking for a replica of what they've of had in the first, past of their first dog, or, yeah. Or the and dog and even though it might be a son or a daughter, um, you know, it is going to be different. Hmm. And and they also forget, you know, how they got where they did with that first hmm. dog, and how much work they put into it, hmm. and what they did to to achieve, you know, the the accomplishments that they got. It's you know, it's it's a it's a labor of love and and you know you need to remember you know well i did i did this at this time and and especially the amount in the rep you know when you were new you were very enthusiastic about it so all the time you put in sure you didn't you kind of forget how much time you yeah and and to prepare a dog for a field trial uh, you know, and to be successful, you know, it's a it's a quite an undertaking, mm. and and uh, you know the conditioning, the um, you know the training. Mm. I've seen dogs overtrain too, mm. um, where where uh, you know they they uh, um, had the dog to push button, which you know yeah, will you, equate. Yeah, I was gonna say, what do you mean by push button? Um, where the dog 
at a field trial, again, the way it's set up, you know, we want to see that dog's instincts. Sure. We want to see him hunt hard. You know, if the dog is, is too mechanical and stays close and relies on the handler too much and and won't make an independent move, mm-hmm. and uh, and when, it's, when it points a bird, you know, it hasn't had enough bird shot for it, and it, it's not going to break, and it's lost its enthusiasm mm. for pointing a bird, Which and so it doesn't have the style. Stu- okay, okay. It doesn't have the style, style. That, that that it takes to win. You know, there's things that you have to do with a with a dog to keep things fresh, um, in the way of shooting birds for them, uh, making the game fun, changing it up a little bit so it's not the same old mundane task. Sure, and uh, um, but you you have to remember that, and it's just the same. You know, maybe maybe the son doesn't have quite the style like with Hank, um, his son Spencer that I have. You know, Spencer is out an extraordinary bitch, uh, who's won a lot of field trials, um, but uh, Hank, uh, Spencer doesn't have quite the tail that Hank had. Hmm. You know, Hank had a you know every bit of eleven o'clock tail. And Spencer's is probably ten, ten thirty, hmm. but Spencer's got a higher head and okay. sticks his nose in the air and points with a, um, you know, a high uh, high head. Sure. Which, um, I mean, there's two two ways of looking at style, and it's on each end of the dog. You hmm. know, the the head and the and the tail. Ideally, you know, we like to see a nice. 12 o'clock tail and the the nose pointed in the air with the ears cocked you know sure. is the is the epitome of a stylish dog classic and, and uh, you know but but again you've got to um, see that dog for the individual that it is hmm. to to make that transition from that really good old dog to having your encore to the next sure. dog. And is it just, would you encourage new people just to have the right expectation going into that? Very much so. Okay. You know, I, I'd say you're, you want to program your mind that you're going to go try to learn something. Mm. And whether it's about winning field trials, whether it's about, you know, even, even if you don't want to participate, just to go observe a NASTRA, a NAVDA, a, a field trial, you're going to learn something sure. as far as training, yeah. you know. It might even be the way equipment's set up. You know, guys have their trucks set up for sure. hunting and that kind of thing. And, yeah. and uh, well, good things can happen when you're around other people that love bird dogs. And yeah. you know, that's yeah. some great conversations there. Yeah. Um, on style, real quick, are you as a maybe as a judge uh, a paw tuck or leg tuck? Are, are you? <laughs> no, I'm not big on the legs. Okay. Um, yeah. It's it's more the reason. The Cause, reason cause some people it, are crazy about that. They yeah, go, as know. as far as style on point, what you want to see is a dog that's very enthusiastic about their job. Okay, that's the main thing that you're looking for. Um, a dog that that is very well trained and very broke, but yet still stylish. That's a that's a fine line as a trainer, you know, and that says a lot. Also about the dog if they're if they're fully broke, wing to shot, but still very stylish. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to put a lot of pressure on a dog to to break them wing to shot, and and for them still to be enthusiastic about their job says a lot about the dog's mentality. Mm-hmm. You know that they're very strong in the head, sure. but yet trainable. Sure. And and 
and that's that's why even though being broke winged a shot you know say for your average pheasant hunter um you know when you shoot a pheasant you know we all know how tough they are and and you want to get the dog after them pretty quick and uh um you know so you don't lose them and and uh um and that's lots of times when the dogs are and i've just broke them and they're two three years old um i don't hunt them as much in situations where i don't where i think i might not have as good an opportunity to keep them broke um so i can keep an eye on them um when they get older i do let them bend the rules a little bit you know because they know the difference between a field trial take a transition between yeah yeah and especially if i if I shoot a rooster and it's out there a ways, uh, uh, I'm telling the dog to fetch before the bird's hitting the ground, sure. you know, and and, uh, um, and and sending them, and uh, um, and that's, but that's also what helps the older dogs keep their style. You'll notice mm-hmm. lots of times when dogs get to be eight, nine, ten, they don't have the style that they did when they were younger, oh, okay. and. Uh, um, you know, as far as lifting a paw, um, you know, I'm not so big on that. That is intensity, though. Okay. Um, a dog that hits the brakes hard, and uh, um, I notice a lot of Vislas point with their rear leg up. Oh, you know, really? Which, which, you <laughs> I don't know. Think I've seen that yet. Well, it's not, you know, whether, I, I guess I, I would have to admit, I do like seeing a paw up, but it's not as important to me as... Uh, high the, tail, uh, and high head. tail, and then the expression on the on the head, you know, ears cocked and and the nose up. Hmm. Um, you're you know. you're going to rank that higher over a paw tuck. Yeah, okay. yeah, because lots of times it's where the dog hits the brakes, sure. and and I've also seen dogs fall down. You know, <laughs> oh really? Yeah, so, I mean, come in skidding and fall down. Oh, and 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 some ju- judges don't like it when they come up on a dog and they're down. But if the judge didn't see that, they really should hope that they get to see the dog point a second time. Okay. And then, and in fact, a dog that lays down on point is, is you know, really not usable for okay. a placement. Okay. And, but if you didn't see how it happened, uh, as a judge, you, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't put a judgment on that. Hopefully the dog has a second find and stands it the way you want to see it and gotcha. in which case I I consider that first find you know uh, uh, a quality find and sure. and and you know I, I've literally seen dogs where there were skid marks where they skidded to a stop and, <laughs> and they wiped out and and uh, and and a smart dog will will stay there stay down you oh, know really rather than move to stand up yeah and flush the birds Wow they're that locked into that, yeah. that committed. I mean, I mean, uh, I mean, Snick's so free boy. I, I literally twice saw him <laughs> hit the brakes, and 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 one time I saw it happen, and the other time I could tell it happened yeah. from the skid marks, wow. and and where he was down when I got there. <laughs> That's crazy. And and and, and, um, and the dog should stay down. Yeah. You know because. Wow. Because if he if he stands up or tries to get his legs underneath him, mm-hmm. he's going to make noise that yeah. would cause a bird to fly. I guess the more time I put in, maybe I'll see that someday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, real quick on um, 
Does there ever become a point where a dog has, well, a dog is either too old or has seen too many birds shot for them that makes breaking harder? Like, is there a yeah, sweet I've, spot? I've, I've seen that. If if a dog uh, has several hunting seasons underneath him and then three or four good seasons underneath him and then you go try to tell him, well, it was okay for you to break and chase uh, and and go fetch the bird, but now I don't want you to. Uh, that's going to be a tough situation. Uh, and and the dog is is you know knew his job. It's kind of like it's kind of like the the you know forty year old fifty year old that all of a sudden you told him, well, this job that you've been doing um, is totally different now, and you've got to do it differently. Sure. You know, X amount of time of conditioning, and yeah. that was your job. Yeah. No, that's changed. that's a tough transition to make with a with a dog. Yeah. You know, that, do you have a sweet spot of age you like to? Well, break a dog? typically, yeah, typically around two years of age. Certain certain dogs, uh, I've started the process younger, uh, especially if if uh, you know I see some some actions that make me think that that uh you know if i wait they're going to get used to just mm. like that okay. get used to doing things another way sure um i start i start the sometimes start the obedience um as far as you know teaching a dog to stand still i mean there's there's three things you've got to do whether you're hunting or field trial you got to teach a dog to to uh, uh come to you come with you and stand still, and all your all your and then that's that's uh, that's Rick and Ronnie Smith stuff um, that I learned from them. You know, all your training issues uh, come down to one of those things being a problem. Mm. You know? One of those failed. Yeah, <laughs> so one of the, you know they're not doing one of those things properly. Yeah. You know, if you're trying to break a dog. And you're having troubles. They're they're not standing still properly, mm-hmm. and you've got to go back and go over, you know the the uh, and and hopefully you don't have to go back. Hopefully it's a progression going through the process of teaching a dog to stand still uh, under all conditions, no sure. matter what. Sure. And uh, and if they know you know when and how they've got to stand still, uh, and they know how to point a bird. Um, you know, you pretty much got them broke. Yeah. One thing I noticed, um, sorry, we're going off on kind of a training tangent, but <laughs> these are questions that are, I think are, are very helpful. Um, you, I don't think you put a, even an e-collar on your dogs until they're pretty old. At least I, I've seen with Wynn. I don't think uh, you Yeah, I've got one on her. Have you? Okay. Um, it, I, I, I think I've, real quick, I've seen a lot of people who are putting e-collars on four or five month old puppies. Maybe that can be successful, but... It can, it can. I mean, if you're training and hurting a dog with the e collar, you're not training. Sure. You know, because it scares them. You know, it's 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 the reminder of what they're supposed to do. Sure. And uh, um, I just, with most of my dogs, about the time they're getting big enough and strong enough that you know they they might do something like chase a deer okay. or. Or you know, chase a uh, a coyote or do something like that. I want to have enough control that I can 
I can stop a deer chase if I need to. Um, I really don't use, I I have used it on fairly young dogs when all of a sudden I had a problem where they wouldn't come, you know, when I said to, and, and had to, had to teach that. I mean, again, with electronic equipment, you can go a long ways forward and a long ways backwards real fast Mm -hmm. if it's, if it's used properly or not used properly. And, and, uh, um, in fact, Spot was a classic example. You've seen me run her, and, yeah. and she was one that, towards the tail end of la- the, a year ago, the hunting season, you know, she got to the point where, you know, if I shot a bird, she'd take off with it. Oh, really? <laughs> and and it was just because, she, you know, again, it boils down to what training issue would that be? She's not coming, not to, coming you. to you. Yeah. Yeah. And and I taught her with the collar to come with me, or come to me. And uh, I've never really had to use it to teach her to come with me. Okay. She's always been pretty good about that. But but uh, um, there were several situations where she, you know, I she gave me the paw, so to speak, when <laughs> when I asked her to She's come like, to me. See you later. Yeah, and uh, um, and 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 she was one of those that she got it right off the bat. You know what got her in trouble, sure. and uh, and knew that she didn't like that collar very well, sure. and um, and you know fixed a lot of things faster than what what it normally does. I mean, and this is going to surprise you. There's guys that that use horse uh, electric collars for horse training. Really, and uh, and as as big as that animal is, their their sensitivity to electricity is far greater than than dogs. Well. You know, I mean, to use a three on a horse is a, a ton of electricity. Wow. And bad? in fact, you probably don't want to be around them if you're going <laughs> to, oh, you know, um, most of the time you're down around a one. Okay. Uh, uh, and I don't even know if I've ever seen a two used on a horse. Wow. But, okay. But, you know, for things like teaching them to stand still. Wow. Um, wow. That's great. Uh, um, you know, electric collars are a great tool, but but they have to be used properly because, like I said, you can go a long ways forward or a long ways backwards. Or sure. You can ruin a dog with a collar. Sure. And uh, um, and once upon a time, we didn't have the sophisticated electronic equipment. You just had two buttons, hot and hotter. Mm. And uh, and really, the only thing those those. Uh, uh, those collars were good for, you know, in retrospect, looking back on it, and that was to keep them from, from, you know, trashing or, or chasing, you know, deer. Sure. Okay. So. Well, that's great. Anything else with trials or training you'd like to add before we, before um, we move on? You know, make sure you go thank the judges. You hmm. know, they donated their time. Sure. Uh, make sure you, you thank the field trial chairman and the secretary because you know it's all volunteer labor you know the judges have a thankless job Mm -hmm. you know they they do it because they love it they like watching dogs but but you know and if when you get done running you know feel free to go up to them and say hey i'm new um you know this is i haven't been to very many trials or this is my first trial You, you know um you know, you you know, to remind them what what dog you're in and what brace, and ask them if they've got any pointers hmm. for you. Well, that's good. And 
um, and you know they they recognize a new person coming along, and they're you know you'll find that they'll they'll be willing to help yeah. you and give you suggestions as well. That's great. Um, but uh, you know we all started out somewhere, and I had I had a lot of people help me and loan me horses and and uh, um, got a lot of good pointers and and you know when I when I'd hear a professional trainer. You know, talking about dog training, I, I found a fence post to lean on pretty close <laughs> within earshot. That's good. You know, and, and all this, you know, when we when talk about throwing pigeons, you know, uh, I learned that from a fellow by the name of Roscoe Staten. Okay. And, uh, and, you know, the old-time Brittany folks remember Roscoe, and, and uh, you know, I was... Um, he was a treasure, you know. We lost him not that long ago, but uh, um, he was... Uh, he was a very, very fun guy to be around, mm. and and uh, and a very good dog trainer. And uh, um, but you want to you want to be a lot of years at the field trial, and sure. you'll you'll learn a lot. Oh, I bet, I bet. That's great. Okay, that's great. All right, breeding, You're breeding. Let's right. tackle it. It's a big old hairy beast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I guess the first thing I'd say is. Breeding is simply an odds game, you know. You can take the very best female and very best male that you can find that of the breed, breed them together, and get mediocre animals. You can take, I've seen uh, two very mediocre animals throw extraordinary pups. But the norm is is where you have a really good female and a really good male. And I noticed this a long time ago. And and I first noticed it in the short hairs that, because the short hair breed has probably come further than any other breed in my 40 years hmm. of watching dogs. And you I say noticed, that, do you mean improve? Yes, okay. yes. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, a fellow by the name of Bob Merkel uh, um, actually lived and trained not very far away from where I grew up. And I watched him uh, at, at a few trials and how he did things. And, and I, in the American Field magazine, I looked at the, you know, the, the, the bloodlines that were winning. And I noticed that a lot of the fountainheads within that breed especially and I th- and this is what I attribute the the you know substantial improvement in the breed is that a lot of the females were extraordinarily strong at the trials, national champions, bred to national champions, and continued to throw national champions. Those are good genetics. Again, breeding is just an odds game. You're you're you're. Uh, your dog is probably, you know, or the the genetics on a dog are only as strong as the the weakest dog in a three generation pedigree. Mm. You know, um, you know, if there's one couch potato <laughs> out of eight, you know, the eight uh, great grandparents, you know, odds are, you know, one of the eight puppies that are born is going to be a couch potato type dog, not mm. not good for anything else. If that pedigree stacked. Uh, with field champions, that's better odds. 
And sure. that's all it is, is better odds. Better odds. Not, not, in, not, a, not a guarantee, but a pretty good insurance policy. Sure. And, and you're looking for what those what that, let's say, a, fem, a, a certain breeding happened. You're looking at the pups that they threw, then the pups that that litter threw, and so on and so exactly. on. Exactly. I keep track of the siblings within a litter, okay? Um, if you have a litter of pups... Louis McRae said this one time. He said, he says, if I have a litter of pups and they're all really good hunting dogs and there's one really good field trial dog, that's a success in my mm. mind. And, and I would agree with that. However, it's stronger genetics if several of the mm. uh, uh, siblings are, are good field trial dogs and good hunting dogs. Okay. And, and, that's that's better than 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 having the in my mind genetically having the extraordinary dog and having a the, one one out of eight pups yeah yeah when you go to the national western stock show uh and you go i go when they have the the angus um cattle sale and i listen to the cattlemen talk. Cattlemen make bird dog people look like rank amateurs when it comes to genetics. Their livelihood depends on their ability to analyze the genetics behind their cattle. Sure. And and I paid really close attention to, you know, how they crossed uh, and did the genetics on what they thought were their extraordinary animals. Yeah. And the one thing that I always heard a lot of is they always talked about the maternal side of the pedigree hmm. on the cattle. And, and uh, you know, good stud dogs, good bulls come a dime a dozen. The hard thing to find is the really good females. Hmm. And when you think about it, they're also, you know, I mean... Odds are it's a 50-50 split on the genetic contributions of either animal, okay? However, the female is responsible for part of the upbringing of the animal, sure. whether it be a cow or a dog, uh, or a horse for that matter. But, but you know, if the, I, I fully think, or truly believe that the female is fidgety, nervous, mm. you know, acting, even though it might be an extraordinary bird dog, that carries down to the puppies in the whelping pen, you know, and they know mom is nervous, and there must be things I need to be nervous about. Wow. You see weird things with dogs and people. For instance, like with, with my dogs, they have a, a tendency when they lay down in the kennel to cross their front paws. Hmm. And and I've got a lot of them that do that. Where did they learn that from? <laughs> okay? and And... You know, I, I see them do weird things like, uh, and Bob Whaley mentions this in his book, you know, how they, they, you know, um, like to uh, uh, climb up on the back, you know, when they're just playing of the other dog. Huh. And I think, I don't remember whether that was in his Snakefoot book or whether it was in Wing and Shot. Okay. Um, Bob wrote that book too, which I highly recommend, Snakefoot, which yeah. is was one of a dog that in later years won the national open shooting dog championship for okay. Bob 
And that's a really good book to read too okay. while I'm thinking about it, especially when it comes to genetics mm-hmm. and and the process of achieving, you know, a, a dog of that caliber. Okay. Um, but that maternal side of the pedigree, um, I think is really uh, underestimated. I just want to take a quick pause and thank Pointer Traditions for their support of the podcast. Hey, how are your leashes looking? How are your dog collars looking, your leads looking? Uh, If they're looking a little worn out, look no further than PointerTraditions.com. You'll save 15% by using code ROOKIE15. That's ROOKIE15. Save you 15% off your entire order at PointerTraditions.com, making the finest dog collars on the market with a free customized nameplate with every collar. Would you kind of expand a little bit on uh, when you said stud dogs come, good stud dogs come a dime a dozen? Because I, I agree with you. I hear well, I hear a lot of people very concerned about the stud dog, the stud dog. They've got to be a great dog, which is probably true. But what do you mean by that? Um, what I mean by that is, is you know, it's it's hard to campaign a, a female dog because of the heat cycle. Hmm. And and that does interrupt the training process and the field trial season. However, you know, like I said, the, the female is is responsible for for the puppy's upbringing, hmm. and we want a dog that's been proven. You know that that they have the mentality and the ability to be a competitive field trial dog, hmm. and and. Uh, um, a lot of you know most people want to just campaign males and uh, I mean talk and when it comes to genetics and in all animals talk is very cheap <laughs> okay and they might say that it's a, a good heifer or a good a good female but but you know it comes in the proof until you and, see what they produce, especially when yeah. it comes to performance animals you know and, and unless you've gone through the entire training process with a with a dog you you don't know that you know what that dog really um has in the way of abilities and and again you know i i like those pedigrees and that's why i noticed with the short hairs you know those pedigrees that were stacked both on the paternal and maternal side of the pedigree Mm. all the way through Mm. and uh um you know, and that's, and you know, having OFA certifications and and you know, knowing that that you know that that they've done their homework on making sure that uh, you know it's really solid with with the pedigree. Sure. Um, you know, there's a lot of good male dogs out there, and you know, when it comes to bloodlines, uh, I mean, that's about the most con- controversial <laughs> issue out there. Um, but what I've noticed in my time in the Britneys, for instance, is, you know, for a long time, uh, crossing what I'll call the Casey Bandit line, uh, which was Bandy, Gringo de Brit, um, Lacar's White Smoke was out of their grandpa, uh, but crossing that bloodline with what I'll call the Smith line being the holiday line, Scipio, uh, the Whiz Kid, um, High Proof Rum Runner was more the Smith line. To cross those two bloodlines, um, that's 
basically what the real thing was. Hmm. Uh, that's basically what Beans Blaze was across of those two bloodlines. Okay. Um, you know, and uh, um, and I, you know, I personally had good success doing that. You know, again, it's a controversial issue or topic, I should say. Um, uh, of crossing those lines? Crossing those two bloodlines. Okay. If I had too much of the band um, I, I, I got a good bird dog, you know, good pointing instinct, didn't have the style, didn't have the toughness, uh, and, and the endurance. If I had too much of the, um, what I'll call the Smith line, um, lots of times I didn't have the pointing instinct, um, I didn't have uh, the intelligence that I was looking for, um, and I and I didn't have uh, um, you know the the nose. But to cross those two bloodlines, I've had better luck. You got some of the best of both. Yeah, both worlds. Yeah, to to get both of those in there. And was that? And that that's again that that's my limited experience. You know, in general, the main thing is when you're picking out a bloodline that. And, and Claire Ritter told me this. When you see a dog that you like, okay, um, and you see a second dog you like, go find out who their mom and dad is. Hmm. If there's common genes there, that's what you want. Sure. Don't pick a dog for, you know, don't pick a stud dog, you know, because that's, that's a really good dog. Hmm. You know, make sure that that dog is producing good dogs. Sure. I look at I look at production record first, okay, and it doesn't mean that the dog's got to have, you know, a long line of winners. But what's his batting average? You know, mm. has he been bred only, you know, three times? And there's there's you know, good solid field trial winners and and hunting dogs out of all three litters. You know that that's better than well he's been bred ten times and there's three winners out of him. Mm. You know, it's it's and the batting because like, like the batting average and yeah. odds. I look but. for I look for production record first, bloodline second, and the specimen third. Okay. But I want, you know, not that the specimen is important. I want that specimen to be a national champion, ideally. Mm. You know, <laughs> or that caliber of an animal. Sure. And but but people don't pay as much attention to the production record as they should, and the bloodline. The bloodline again, you know, needs to be a bloodline that you believe in, and you know you can train those animals, and they're they're the kind that you you know uh, can can work with sure. on both the maternal and paternal side. So when you were talking about the the Smith line and what's the other one you just mentioned, the, I call it the KC Bandit line, but that's okay. Bandy. Okay. 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 Bandy and and Gringo de Brit. Okay. So when you cross those two lines, so you talked about some of the characteristics of this line, you wouldn't get maybe some of the pointing instinct or intelligence things like that. Um, and those those things you listed were those characteristics you saw that go way back in those pedigrees. They do. And then when you cross them, I guess you'd say the the proof was in the pudding. So that yeah. dog that the first one that you saw crossed kind of had all those characteristics. Oh well, yeah, Coke was out of. Coke was out of, uh, the real thing was out of Bandy and a bitch by the name of Princess DeSandra. It was, was uh, Bandy Princess DeSandra, Princess DeSandra was out of a double cross to Holiday Dock. Mama, Grandpa and Grandma, or no, 
double grands, granddaughter of Holiday Doc. Holiday Doc was out of the Smith line. Okay. Okay. And I noticed that early on. Um, Beans Blaze was out of Shoulder Brands Acres Noble and Gem State, Gem State Jill. Uh, Shoulder Brands Acres Noble was directly out of Bandy and forget what was on the bottom side, but I don't think it was real recognizable, but Gem State Jill was out of Scipio Sphinx, which came directly out of the Smith Kennel. Wow. Okay. Those are two big fountainheads in the Brittany breed. Okay. And and uh, and and both of them were out of a, what I'd call a bandy holiday cross. Okay. And and you know that that niche breeding. I'll go back. That niche breeding that that Coke was out of mm. produced a dog by the name of Tall Oaks Bandolero, Hopper's Robber, uh, Running Good. Um, I'm a no. Jacks are better. Um, Wayne Oliver, the owner of Bandy, was the was the owner of Princess De Sandra and, and there were several other field champions out of that. Those dogs that I just mentioned were national caliber dogs all came coming out of that same cross. I'm not I'm not here to talk about so much that that, that is the very best bloodline to go with. Sure. However, notice what Wayne Oliver did, you know, in in using that that female where it was a niche breeding. Hmm. You know, uh a good a good piece of uh, a good job of breeding also Kent Lipsy uh, Jock Akani was a dog that was really hot when I was a teenager uh, they really wanted me to breed Tiff to him and and Jock didn't have much behind him hmm. and and uh, you know hindsight being 2020 it was probably a mistake on my part because he was just down the road in Madison, Wisconsin, which okay. was two hours away. But anyways, <laughs> one of the things I saw Kent do was, and you'll see this a lot, where a stud dog, if it wasn't for two or three different females, if they didn't exist, they would have never made them, you know, been on the map in the way of a good stud dog or good mm -hmm. Hall of Fame dog because of the you know two or three bitches if those wouldn't have existed but they were niche breedings okay? okay Kent when Jock was young bred uh, uh, Nikki Bissell bred a dog by the name of Juquar's Nikani Jenny to to uh, Jock Akani and they got several field champions out of it uh, Smokestone's Dynamo uh, is the one that comes to mind, but she had probably three or four sisters, or no, two or three sisters and brothers that were also field champions. Mm -hmm. Kent had the pre presence of mind when Nikki Bissell bred to Bandy to get a pup out of that litter by the name of uh, uh, Smokestone's Bandy. Okay. And uh, again, he knew that Jacakani and Juquar's Nikani Jenny was a niche, okay? okay? And and when they bred to the hottest thing going, Bandy, mm -hmm. he knew, you know, I'll bet if I got a female out of that and bred it to Jock, I'll bet that'd work. Huh. And it did. It produced a national champion by the name of Markar's Jacks a Dandy. Okay. Um, Holman's ran a dog by the name of Lejean's Johnny Akani. Um, 
there were several field champions that again turned into a niche breeding that worked sure okay and and you've got to watch that coming forward you know look for those niches you know beans blaze if he if he was never bred to if he wouldn't have been bred to Scipio's little chick um uh lobo's cotton candy and there's a third one if those three females wouldn't have existed beans blaze wouldn't have made the hall of fame Mm. because he wouldn't have had anything in the way of a production record but again you're looking for those niche breedings and you want those stacked within your pedigree if you if you like beans blaze you want to make sure that it's it's out of a female that that you know, also produce several other winners with Beans Blaze. Okay. So you might see Beans Blaze a few times in yeah. Dog's Pedigree. Spanky, Hank's Hank's dad, yeah. was out of out of um, um, Chicks Blaze and Sawtooth Sam. Sam was out of Beans Blaze and Scipio's Little Chick. Oh, both okay. both of whom made the Hall of Fame. Okay. okay, that was a niche breeding. Beans Blaze and Scipio's Little Chick probably threw, probably, there was probably like eight field champions oh, wow. and, and a few dual champions out of that cross, and wow. several of which were national caliber dogs. Wow. But again, you wanted that, and Sam was one of the better dogs out of that cross. And, you know, I, I heard Dave say, Dave Walker, the breeder, uh-huh. say that, that Sam was the easiest dog to train that he ever had, wow. and uh, and Dave trained a lot of dogs, <laughs> and and you know, and I found that to be true with Spanky, you know, yeah. um, and uh, and you know, again, I'm not so much, you know, everybody's got their own idea on sure. which bloodline is the best, but the the critical thing here, I'm trying to get through is with the stud dogs you want to make sure it's a niche breeding it's it's producing what you've seen that you like yeah you know it's it's the production record of the animal not just because you like that male but yeah. what if you what's like that male produced? that's great but now what are his pups like yeah what's so what are his pups like you know claire ritter's again you know what is you know who's his mommy and daddy you know, sure. that's, that's when you see a dog you like, who's yeah. his mommy and daddy? And, and will you, and it sounds like, I mean, I know the answer to this probably, but you're going back, okay, who are his grandparents? Who are the, yeah, yeah you're going yeah. back further. Yeah, or am I seeing common genes there in the dogs that I see that I like? Yeah. You know, um, you got to figure that out. As a breeder, that's your job. Sure. You know, uh, that's your job it's to figure that out. responsibility to yeah. produce the best quality it's, dogs. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not Will Larson. It's not Will Larson's job. It's Jeff Hoskins' right. job to you figure to, that out, so can, he can get a dog to like win to yeah, to Will. Exactly. You know? And um, <laughs> how um, okay, but in the same context though, how would how would that translate to take me, a regular dog owner? I love the bird dogs. Love getting into them. Like you would still transfer that same concept of looking at the parents and grandparents and right, your, right. Your regular you know, so so Will someday wants to raise a litter of puppies. Yeah. You know, and and uh, and so if he's thinking about what stud dog to get, you know, Will should go to the field trials to go to the hunt test, go to Nastra, and look for the dogs that you like. You know, and talk to the owners and 
and you know you got to get them talking and that's not hard to get a dog person to talk about <laughs> their own dog but you know you're if if easy to train is important you want to hear them say that without you pulling that information mm-hmm. out of them and 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 that's the when you see that animal that that is throwing the puppies like you want to see sure. that's the animal to breed to sure and again it goes back to the cattle you know on the maternal side don't don't discount that you know you want to yeah. see you want to see strength on both sides of the pedigree yeah that's, i like the point you made about the the maternal so after even the puppies are born or whelped correct uh-huh. is you know how is that mother dog taking care of those pups i right. never even thought of that as yeah. a yeah. quality yeah i mean is is mom a nice relaxed dog and yeah. and you know what kind of environment do those pup are those puppies being raised in yeah and you know if mom's nice and relaxed i mean i don't like hyper um you know uh usually equates to not being easy to train yeah and you 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 may have touched on this already talking about odds but um if you are as a breeder Mm -hmm. jeff hoskins a breeder Mm -hmm. if you are trying to um target something let's just an example we're gonna take retrieving let's say you Mm -hmm. want um this this breeding you want to do uh, the dog to be a great retriever Mm -hmm. are you then wanting mom and dad both to be phenomenal retrievers or can you get it still with dad being great and mom being okay like what yeah. again that, that could be different things you might want it, range it, or it, style it, it goes back and again it's an odds game you know the best thing is if if the whole three generation pedigree um you know we're, we're great retrievers okay you've also got to take into consideration though when you're looking at a stud dog when you're looking at an animal what kind of training has that dog had because mm. one thing when when you see a dog at a derby age okay or a juvenile age he hasn't had much training sure. okay and you're seeing the raw talent before mm. man gets in there and screws it up <laughs> okay because i've seen some dogs that looked really impressive as a derby dog sure uh, Derby being, you know, in the range of a year, you know, a year to two years of age, and then all of a sudden falls apart. Well, did that dog fall apart because he didn't have the mentality, or because he, because of the, you know, the the training? Okay, you know, even, and and so when it comes to a trait like retrieving, you know, the best thing to do would be to have two parents that were really strong retrievers. But keep in mind that, well, okay, some people are better at training that than others. Mm. You know, I've, I've seen people also be critical of a dog's style when they get to be uh, eight or nine years old. And, uh, um, and, and, you know, sometimes you have to see through some things, you know. What was that dog's style like when he was three or four years old? Mm. Was it great? And then as he got older, you know, it dropped mm. and maybe maybe the dog was going back and forth between the owner and the pro and every time the pro got it had to get a hold of the dog he had to retrain it because the, the his amateur owner was unwinding the dog you <laughs> sure. know the, the, you the, factor the, all that the, in. the old dog the old dog you know had to get retrained all the time and then they don't have the quite the spark that they did you know sure. um but sometimes you have to see through training yeah. and see what the true genetics are in yeah. the dog because you know, it doesn't matter, you know, what that dog's going to throw for genetics mm-hmm. um, they have when they're born. Sure. 
okay? And, and the training process that takes place just illustrates the, the traits, yeah. one way or the other, to the good or the bad. Sure. You know, I mean, a dog that was professionally trained its whole life, had the best upbringing, had, got to go to all the field trials, sure he's going to have a, sure. a big winning record, sure. you know, if he's a good dog. You know, compared to maybe the dog that didn't get to as many field trials, but when he did, you know, his win record was quite impressive. Sure. Do you, for that reason, do you, do you like the puppy stakes more than some of the older adult dog stakes because you get to see uh, that raw talent? No, um, I think it's important. Uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier. I mean, I, I want to see a dog that's solid at a young age, yeah. okay? I want to be able to take a, a puppy hunting when they're six months old sure. and have them point birds for me. Yeah. I don't want to wait until they're two years old to find out if they're, you know, the kind of hunting dog I'm looking for. Sure. Um, I like to see, when I'm looking for a stud dog, I like to see the ones that matured early and, and had success as a, as a juvenile. Did they have to be a, a top winning juvenile? No. Sure. You know, were they... Were they solid? You know, what's more important is is what they turn into as an adult. Mm. But I don't want to see the one that, you know, just was, you know, pretty flat and, and unimpressive young and then all of a sudden, you know, came out of no place and, and turned into a really good dog. Because the downside of that is, okay, if you have to wait a long time to find out what they're going to turn into, sure. you are going to have those that will never turn out. And you've just... You've just, you know, wasted a couple of years of training time. Right. Of waiting, 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 yeah, and hopes. Yeah, and and so I, I like okay. to see it at a young age. Okay. Um, and uh, you know that's uh, um, that's always been important to me because one of the first dogs I had, uh, you know, didn't turn out. Hmm. And uh, and I I spent a lot of time training her and probably even had her more push button than what she should have been. Mm. Um, so, anyways, but uh, um, well, anything else around uh, before we kind of wrap up here? Anything else around breeding or pedigrees or bloodlines that you'd like to share? Yeah, you asked me about Nolan's last bullet. You know, yes, if I ever yes. got to see him run, and I didn't. Um, you know, however, Nolan's last bullet was highly successful within the game that he played, and uh, you know, a good dog's a good dog. You sure. know, and, and again, it comes down to training and how they are developed. And and Nolan Huffman, you know, liked Nastra, yeah. and I believe Nolan's last bullet could have competed at any hmm. level in any game that Nolan that would have wanted to play with. I oh. mean, he was that good. I mean, he his. Nolan is showing up in a lot of, you know, um, high quality, you know, field trial dogs, mm. you know, and and I want to say he went back to Beans Blaze and and Markar's Jackson Dandy on his pedigree, um, looking at him, looking at the dogs out of him and the pictures of him, you know, he looked like he was built the way those dogs were, and and I I strongly believe that that. You know, Bullock could have competed. You know, in any game that that uh, you know, whether it be horseback or on foot in the NASCAR. Sure. Um, just because he had that kind of intelligence to be able to switch. Yeah, the and intelligence, and and it was just a question of development. Again, you know, you have to you have to take the development for what it was, and and was that dog 
developed well. Yeah, still winning Nastra. You know, I I don't remember what his win record was, but I knew it was a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember a dog, Nastra dog prior to that, Tominsky's crib, uh, that was one of the first successful Nastra Britneys. You know, in Nastra, you, you have to compete against pointers and setters and short hairs and everything. Sure. And, and and there wasn't, you know, as many successful Britneys. And Tominsky's crib was one of the first hmm. successful Britneys. You also got to look at confirmation on a dog. Hmm. You know, the dual dog thing is real real big with Britneys. And, and uh, you know, showing isn't my thing. But it has its place, you know. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of guys don't pay much attention to confirmation, but it is critical. Um, You know, whether it be horses, people, dogs, you know, if they're not built the right way, they're not going to run the right way, Mm. and they will eventually break down. Um, it's, It's critical that... You know, I mean, people get hung up on size. I, I don't like them real small, and I don't like them real big. Okay. I'd rather right have in the middle. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I if I had to pick one of the evils, I'd rather have them big. You know, <laughs> but uh, it's not to say that a small dog can't compete. But how how much does the do the parents, I guess, play into size really? Then a lot. Um, the thing you'll see with with Britney's where we're kind of got a little bit of a problem is it seems like we're getting really big males and really small females out of mm. the same breeding. Oh, wow. And, uh, um, and, uh, and we don't want that, you know. I mean, we need something that's, in my mind, I mean, that, again, comes down to personal choice, and this is controversial because, you know, bigger is going to help with winning in a horseback stake. Mm. But, you know, the strength in the breed, you know, like I said earlier, 80 to 90% of my, my puppies and people that buy Brittany puppies want, like them because of their compact size. Sure. And, uh, um, I mean, there has been kind of a push for, you know, the miniature Brittany's, which, you know, you still got to have them big enough to handle the pheasant. You know, if they sure. pick the pheasant up and their back end comes off the ground, that's not good. You know, <laughs> have a little problem. And, and uh, uh, you know, and and uh, and they still got to, you know, you can make an argument that they can go under the cover when they're that small. Well, I'm not going to do that, but mm. but I do like the, you know, and a little bit over the standard doesn't bother me sure. that much either. But uh, um, you know, I I. Uh, and lots of times when they get really big, they they don't have the athletic ability that you look for. Mm. Um, well, I, I know Adam Adam Freeman was on this podcast uh, a few months ago, and and Hatch he, he mentioned that Hatch, Hatch is a little bit taller and bigger of a Brittany. Yeah, he's a big boy. Were I don't think I asked Adam this, but were the other litter mates that way, or was that just well, Hatch? Or? I, I I know that as well as anybody since I raised. Yeah. Him. <laughs> um, but the weird thing is, we've kind of been all over the board. I haven't seen any small males out of that breeding, uh, but I've seen them medium-sized, and I've seen them all the way up to Hatch's size. And Hatch has got some brothers that are as tall as he is. Okay. I've also seen some females that were good-sized, and all the way down to too tiny. Okay. Um, there's Hatch's mom was out of Snixo Free Boy. Scipio breeding and a and a really good field field champion female, 
um, Chalk's White Diamond. Chalk's White Diamond was out of Chalk Talk, and, and Chalk Talk was a Scipio bred dog from the West Coast that was huge. Hmm. And I'm pretty sure that's where the huge okay. is coming from. Oh, wow. um, but the other dogs after that dog weren't real huge, or they were? Or um, I didn't see Chalk's White Diamond. I don't think she was real big, but the female that that uh, hatches out of um, um, uh, Snixo Boomer's babe was a good sized female. She okay. she she was a big female, okay. uh, big liver female, um, not over standard, but but close. Okay. And uh, um, and you know Hank the 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 sire. Uh, you know, is a good sized dog. He's not over standard, but he's he's towards the top of the standard, and you know, but uh, you know, Hatch Hatch is very athletic uh, on the ground and and a very fast dog. He's he's really kind of gait wise and and build wise just a a big a taller bigger version of his dad, hmm. and because uh, um, he is built very much the same way Um, and uh, um, but I'm attributing that height that he's got coming from from chalk okay Uh, chalk talk because I I did see chalk talk uh, and 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 he came out of a bunch of big dogs and he was very big himself big bone too and you know, different type of Brittany. Yeah. Hatch has done very, very well for himself. I know oh, over the last what couple, year or two, or oh yeah, or I mean, six he won the National Amateur Gun Dog Championship. Yeah. Um, Bob Birch, it's done a fine job of developing him for for uh, Adam and and uh, um, funny story uh, was uh, Adam got him from me and ran him in a couple puppy stakes and and uh, got some thirds and fourths and. He asked me if uh, if uh, I thought Hatch was going to make it, and and uh, you know, and, and the performances were small stakes, and so Adam had some reason to be concerned, and he was going out of town for work, and and I said, why don't you bring him over to my house? And I messed with him for a couple of days and called Adam and said he's going to make it, <laughs> and, uh, and he Adam sure was, did. Adam was going to be gone. Uh, and not be able to make it to a field trial and I said do you want me to run him for you and he said yeah and uh, um, so you know the first blue ribbon yeah. uh, you know I was piloting and, oh nice and uh, and and Adam was very adamant of trying to pick the judge's brain on what I did different <laughs> so, how'd you do it but, but Adam uh, has had a real good time with, with Hatch and like I said Bob Birch, it's done a really good job of uh, of developing the dog for for Adam, and, and he's a very consistent dog. and And that's the other thing I'd say when you're evaluating performance on a on a dog, and evaluating him as a stud dog, you know, especially when you're looking for easy to train uh, and the kind of dog that can be fairly versatile consistency is extremely important sure. you know there's dogs out there that are kind of home run hitters and then I've had those you know but I, I'd rather have that dog that 
that is always going to be in there. You know what you're going to get. Yeah. He's going to be competitive, and he's going to, you know, you know who, what no, you're going to get when you pull him out of the box. Or throw than, you a lot of surprises. Yeah, uh, I don't like surprises when I'm handling the dog. And, <laughs> that's good. And uh, so that's really good. Well, awesome, Jeff. This uh, this has been fantastic. There are so many pieces in here that uh, I'm going to look back on and <laughs> re-listen to this many times and pull out some new uh, new helpful information. So yeah, I think um, I think uh, I think we've covered it. So. Yeah. Well, as uh, as I, I ask all my guests, I love to uh, end with two things. One, uh, we'll start with this, and then we'll we'll end with the rapid fire round. Um, for the rookie out there, now, now this in your case, I'm going to say this could be a rookie hunter who just wants to get into upland hunting. This could be the rookie out there who wants to get into trials or hunt tests or, or whatever that might be. Um, what advice would you give that rookie out there, uh, maybe just getting into bird dogs and, and upland hunting? Um, you know, I mean, we've talked about picking a puppy and all that. And once you get past that, I'd, I'd say, again, the more time you spend with an animal, the better they're going to be. Hmm. Um, you know, and, and you're going to get more enjoyment out of it. And, uh, um, you know, it, it's, it's a great path, you know, that I've been able to take in my life and that, you know, when I, through the dogs, I've always, you know, when I've gotten moved to different parts of the country, I always knew somebody, hmm. you know, because of having met them through the dogs Sure. and, you know, business connections, um, uh, you know, uh, friends, uh, um, you know, it's been a lifelong thing for me and, and, and it's taken me down that path. So I've always known somebody or had an acquaintance, you know, no matter where I lived with her. And, uh, um, I'd encourage a, a new person to, you know, go to a dog show, go to, go to a field trial, go to a NASTRA trial, go to a NAVDA trial, hunt test, um, do those things with the dog just to learn, you know, books, uh, training seminars, sure. you know, they're all great avenues to, you know, make the most out of the, the you know, the dog ownership journey. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, you know, with, and with the hunting and, and, you know, as far as hunting, it, you know, if, if you're new to hunting, you know, try to hunt a variety of species of birds and mm-hmm. see what you like. You know, as I've gotten older, I mean, I've, I, lived in Michigan for four years, hunted grouse up there and then, and then, um, woodcock and, and, uh, moved here and, and, uh, um, you know, and that's like going from the jungle to the moon, you know, <laughs> by comparison, you know, in, in terrain and, but sure. yet, you know, to have hunted, you know, everything from Sharpies and chickens to, to grouse and, and woodcock, you know, um, I mean, it, it, it's just like anything else in life. It's an experience, and mm. the, the more experiences you have, the better it is because variety is the spice of life. So, <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's that's what I'd I'd say to do. Yeah, you that's know, great. With your new pup. I love that. All right, last section here is the rapid fire round. Um, I will let you expand on things if you need to, but I'm just going to kind of ask you a few questions, give okay. me your off the cuff answer, and all right. we'll go from there. All right. Okay. All right. First one: uh, What gun are you carrying into the field, and why? Uh, I, I I've just got a habit, even though I've got a lot of other guns. I always seem to always pick up my Browning Satori Upland Special. Okay. And it's a 12 gauge, and it's got. Uh, 24-inch barrels and an English-grade stock. It's super light gun. Nice. 
kicks like a mule, so I had to put a big pad on it. But uh, that's my favorite gun to shoot because I can handle it with one hand easily and work a collar with the other and <laughs> even shoot with one that, hand. That's so, a whole other story so, there. So, so anyways. Good. That's good. Is that, uh, and what's your, this is very unique, I think. Uh, the tr- there's a training gun you keep in your truck when you're out oh, when you're shooting birds for your that's dogs. A, Single shot, 12 gauge that sawed off at about 20 inches. Um, <laughs> Never and, seen anything like it. And it's it's painted orange, uh, so when I need to lay it down, and yep. um, you know I can find it again when yeah. everything's uh, falling I think, apart. I think a I beast. Got, I got equipment scattered all over the place. <laughs> I could, you know, find the gun, and, and uh, uh-huh. I've shot a lot of stuff with that gun. Uh-huh. Um, it's small. I've got a friend that calls me the Marshal of the Plains because it seems like I'm always having to dispatch a coyote or a <laughs> skunk or or yeah. a porcupine and uh-huh. and uh, um, but you know it's the kind of gun that I don't feel bad about when I treat it very poorly when sure. it's riding around in a scabbard on the horse <laughs> or in my horse trailer. Yeah, I'm sure that gun has uh, seen some, <laughs> or have some stories, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, next one. Uh, oh, fa- a funny story behind that. Oh, yeah. The orange shotgun that I had before got stolen out of my pickup. Oh. And I, it, when I lived in Aurora, and I had to report it to the uh, police, and, uh, and you'd be surprised how long it took me to convince the dispatcher that the gun was actually painted orange. Oh, because I have had to call her, and it was around Halloween time. Oh, she, and she, oh no! And she thought it was a joke. <laughs> like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm no, serious. No, really, the gun is yeah. painted orange. Well, sir, why is your gun orange? <laughs> it's a long story, but trust me. Yeah, that's know. good. Um, okay, uh, so favorite breed. Besides, and I always say, besides the ones you've owned. So you can't say English Pointer because you've owned one. Oh. So favorite breed besides the Brit or the Pointer? Um, geez, what would I have if it wasn't one of those two? Um, it might be a Vizsla, you know? Okay. I mean, um, I've got a lot of friends, good friends and good people that I know that have Vizslas, and I... I like the dog because they're very athletic. Um, got unbelievable for a pointing breed, unbelievable retrieving instincts and mm. ability to mark, mm. which makes them harder to train. They're they're that good at marking, wow. and they can watch a penraised bird go down at about 300 yards and know where it went. Wow. Okay. Um, or at least I've seen a lot of them that are that way. Yeah. But, uh, Interesting. Um, you know they, they uh, they have a lot of really good attributes and, okay. and uh, so. Okay, anyways. that's great. Uh, a few more. Uh, uh, oh, favorite bird to hunt and why? Um, you know it goes back to if I had to choose one. My favorite hunt is when I walk in front of the dog and I don't know what's coming out, mm. whether it be pheasants or quail. That's okay. my favorite hunt. Okay. If I had to pick one bird, I'd probably go back to you know how it all started, and that's. Uh, that's pheasants. Mm, okay, a classic. Yeah, classic. Yeah. There's nothing like the the snowy day, snowy clear day, bright blue sky, and and snowy enough <laughs> that those roosters are sitting tight because yep. and fresh snow and and seeing one of those big roosters mm. come up out of the snow and oh. up against that blue sky. That's hard to beat. I yep. would agree. That's hard to beat. Um, okay, this one might be harder for you, um, but pick one. Your single favorite thing about the AKC trials? Um, 
you know, after 40 years, you 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 play the game, and it's it's the performance when your dog is. You know, you've you've seen a lot of good dogs run, and you know there's more good ones to come, mm. and you're clicking on all eight, and you're laying it down, and and you know it, and the judges know it, and everybody watching knows it, mm. and that's you know, and it doesn't happen that often, but when you when you're really you know putting it down, and you don't leave any holes in the mm. performance, sure, and and you show show that you know everybody watching some pretty special moves mm. and some pretty special bird work that's great that's great i love and it and the people <laughs> and the people hey, hey no hey no that's <laughs> right <slipping laughs> in on you that's <laughs> right i've made a lot of really good but, friends over the years and, that's great and that's so, great anyways, um I, cheated. The, the, <laughs> I let it slide i let it slide <laughs> um this one <laughs> this i just want to more so poke fun at you how do you remember you probably, in a, in a 10 minute segment, we were just talking about uh, bloodlines and breeds and dogs. I, I might, for fun, go back later and count. You must have rattled off 50, maybe, dogs' names and where they're from and who their parents and grandparents were. How do you remember all that information? Um, my head's full of useless information <laughs> like that. But but it's, it's something I did from an early age and studied the pedigrees and... and and I think it's critical to do, um, and and to understand, you know, to be able to look back on a pedigree, and see dogs several generations back that you either trained or knew or knew well, you can anticipate, you know, and that's critical in dog training. Hmm. Anticipate the the actions of a dog and know, you know, how to get corrections and see what's coming before it actually happens and know how a dog's going to react in a certain situation. Sure. And through bloodlines, you know, there's those, t- those tendencies, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Beans Blaze dogs, lots of times, the you know, the critics, and it was it was warned and said, you know, that that they didn't have very good patterns, mm-hmm. you know, that they, they didn't have a naturally forward pattern. And, you know, but crossed with the right female, um, you did get that. And but the point is, is you'd see that that tendency based upon that bloodline, you know, and and, uh, and so as a breeder, I always thought it was important to to know those bloodlines and know the traits. And, I would say you know them pretty well. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Okay, just two more here. Um, beverage of choice after a hunt. Uh, Cold Budweiser, and when I say cold, ice crystals are a good thing. <laughs> it's just getting started. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You might be the first guest that says Budweiser, actually. Yeah, yeah. I know. Well, I've been told. I uh, my wife says I have bad taste in beer. <laughs> uh, but that's uh, okay. To each their you own. You know, but but uh, um, yeah. Bob and I drank a lot of Budweiser together, and Bob quit drinking, and I, I noticed that the Anheuser-Busch stock dropped. And I, that's what I attribute it to. But anyways. Love it. Last one. Uh, have you ever wrestled a deer? Oh, so you've been talking to Adam. <laughs> Maybe just a little bit. Yeah. Maybe yeah. a little bit. So um, Adam uh, bought his first dog from me and hadn't really hunted behind a pointing dog. And uh, 
and I said, we'll go hunting. And so, you know, about halfway through the season, we went up hunting and he brought a friend with, and we were going along a uh, irrigated circle of uh, pit corn. And he hollers at me and says, hey, Jeff, we got to go call the game warden. I said, what's up? And he says, there's, there's a dead deer over here and there's another one tangled up with his, uh, with his antlers. Mm. And, and I, uh, I said, well, here, you know, take Tiff or no, take Snoopy and and uh, my and uh, I walked over there and looked and looked like I'd guess they'd been there for a few days, you know, a couple days maybe, and and one deer was dead uh, and the other buck was hung up in his antlers mm-hmm. and and uh, you know Adam said you know I think we should just put them out of their misery and I and I thought you know well Adam's pretty probably right and. And Adam had hunted big game more than I had, and, and but I'd been around animals enough to to know that yeah the situation didn't look good, and, and I got to looking at it, and uh, and I could see he was just hung up on one side, so a well placed shot with a shotgun uh, in the antlers about six inches above the skull of the one that was alive mm-hmm. um, got him unhooked. <laughs> and wow. the deer came out of there and kind of jumped up in the oh air came down on his front end and was down on his haunches in his front end and and standing up in the rear and just kind of stunned and with his uh, antlers blown off with one of his antlers one, okay. blown, one of his antlers okay. blown off and uh I kicked him in the butt a couple of times <laughs> and uh and I heard I heard Adam say oh you better just shoot him, and uh, and and I wasn't opposed to that because I just couldn't stand um, seeing an animal suffer. Sure. And uh, I actually went around front of him and drew down on him, and then I got the bright idea of picking up a snowball. <laughs> and the deer was probably ten feet from me. Looking at you or facing away? Looking at me, okay. or you know, down with on his haunches, front haunches, and. Uh, elbows mm-hmm. and uh, threw the snowball and uh, and uh, hit him right between the eyes where I wanted to and he shakes his head and grunts at me and charges me <laughs> and uh, I switched oh, I switched hands with my gun and I grabbed his good antler with one hand and I thought to myself my first thought was oh shit Jeff you did it again <laughs> Uh, my second thought was, I, I got I can't let him get me on my back. Uh-huh. And uh, good, good second thought. And and I and I basically stayed on top of him when he hit me, <laughs> and uh, and he pushed me back. I guess five to ten feet, and uh, and I stayed on top of him, and we kind of wrestled for a little bit, and I dropped my gun somewhere along there, and then finally he stopped thrashing. And I could see my gun, and I was able to reach it because I had it in my mind. I don't want to run out of here without my gun in case I have to shoot him again. <laughs> and and are you uh, still holding on to him at this point? I, oh yeah, I'm on top of <laughs> okay. him. I'm on top of you know. Well, he he went down on the ground, <laughs> and you know, had this deer been at full strength, I probably would have been already bounced off the moon. <laughs> uh, and uh, again, I you know, I mean, I just couldn't leave that deer there, and I almost shot him and thought better of it, uh-huh. and, and uh, 
um, but I just couldn't stand to see him suffer. And, and, uh, and but I reached down, grabbed my gun, and then jumped up all of a sudden and, and ran out of there and ran away. Where was Adam in all this? Uh, I'll, I'll get to that. <laughs> okay, okay. And, uh, um, you know, you'd think a guy like him would have had a, had his, uh, you know, camera sure. on him. Oh, on yeah, me, of course. But, but uh, it would have been worth a lot of money probably for the world's funniest videos. But uh, anyways, um, I ran out of there and got a ways away from him, and the deer got up and ran off. Okay. I went over to Adam, and he's holding on to the two dogs, and he says, Jeff, are you all right? And I was looking down, and I wasn't seeing any leaks. <laughs> You know, and I said, I think so. And, you know, I could feel my shin kind of hurt a little bit. And I said, my shin hurts a little bit, but I think I'm all right. And walked out of there, and, and Adam kept saying, are you sure you're all right? And he said, yeah. And, I, and he says, Jeff, you just bulldogged a deer. <laughs> and uh, and I looked down, and, and the side of my pants was cut, and it looked like a, I mean, it was such a clean cut, it looked like wow. a razor blade cut on a wow pair of jeans but it didn't go through and hit my skin and, oh jeez and uh and and he, he said he said the noise was terrible and i said what noise he says that deer was grunting like crazy and i said i only heard him grunt once <laughs> he says the corn stalks are cracking and and uh and the deer was grunting and worse yet you weren't making any noise and and uh, i thought he'd got you <laughs> <laughs> Just standing by and, holding the dogs. And, and uh, um, so we proceeded to, you know, finish out the hunt, and we shot a bird or two that, that day. And, and so the next day I get a call from Adam, and and uh, and he says, uh, he says, well, are you all right? And, and I was a little bit stiff, I believe, in the thigh or something mm -hmm. like that. And I said, a little bit stiff in the one leg, but I'm fine. And he says, Jeff, I can't get that sound out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> Traumatized so, him. So, you know, all's fine and good. Oh, and, gosh. And, and so I would so, say it's safe to say. So we, we get ready to, um, the next, uh, like two weekends later, we go hunting again. So this is the second time poor Adams had to go <coughs> hunting with me. And uh, lo and behold, uh, Snoopy gets caught in a trap. Oh, no. And, uh, and, and, uh, so he had to, you know, I mean, when it, when that happens to a dog in a leg hold trap, you take your jacket off, put it over their head, and mm -hmm. you know, I was hollering at Adam to get there quickly, and okay. and he did, and, and uh, you know, and I was holding Snoopy, and by the time he got there, I had her calm down, and it's mm -hmm. kind of funny when you do that and you hold the animal close, you've got the 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 coat over their head, mm -hmm. you know, um, I could see. Snoopy's tail wagging underneath mm. that because oh, wow. they freak out when they're caught in a trap and they'll bite you. Oh, um, you know, because they're scared, they don't sure. know what it is, and, uh, and it hurts. And uh, and you need to get there before they get it down on the end of their toes and break their toes. Mm. Okay. And but that trick of uh, putting the coat over, putting the coat over their head, and and uh, and getting them calmed down so you don't get bit, and and, uh, and then you can get that leg hold trap off okay. their head. And, you always want to make sure you have a Leatherman with you to, if you ever get them caught in a snare, too, because okay. the snares tighten down and can choke a dog, okay. kill them. But anyways, I get Snoopy out of the trap, and, and Adam looks at me and says, Dan, I can't take you anywhere, can I? <laughs> 
So your your adventure. Uh, yeah, I've had a few. You you definitely have had a few. Yeah, definitely. So <laughs> makes for good stories though. Yeah, it does. It, really it does. does. Nothing else. Well, Jeff, thank you again. Uh, this has been uh, very fun, uh, very knowledgeable, and I've loved uh, just getting to hear a little bit more of your passions and your history and. Um, yeah, just how you've gotten to, um, yeah, just, I think improve the breed, I would say, improve yeah. the breed of the Brittany. And well, I hope other people enjoy it and can take things from it as well. Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate yep. it. Well, that's a wrap of episode 39, part two with Jeff Hoskins. Um, wow. <laughs> Jeff, thank you just once again, sir, for sitting down with me, uh, spending so much time, uh, again, just pouring out your experience, your knowledge, your wisdom uh, on each of us. I think, uh, including myself, uh, so many of us have walked away uh, after listening to this series, um, learning more, understanding uh, more about training, bird dogs, breeding, puppies. Um, I just think we walked away with a lot um, of, of gain from these episodes. So thank you on behalf of myself and I'm sure lots of the listeners. Hey guys, uh, don't forget, leave a Apple podcast rating and review on Apple podcasts or Spotify as well. Uh, if you're listening on one of those platforms really is going to help the show continue to grow and reach more bird dog lovers and upland hunters just like you. Hey, go put some miles on those boots and follow your favorite bird dog. Thanks. And have fun.